Did the chickens come home to roost last night? We'll find out. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Good morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff, filling in for Farm Director Pam Yonke. She is on farm tour, making her way through Montana, Wyoming, and Utah. You can keep up with their excitement by following Fabulous Farm Babe on Facebook. I can tell you that she'll be experiencing pretty mild weather compared to here, with temperatures in the low to mid-70s. Meanwhile, we are in a heat advisory. Temperatures today will peak at around 90 degrees, but that's nothing compared to what's coming tomorrow. We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes with agriculture meteorologist Stu Muck. Also in store today, we talk to former royalty about how a dry, hot forecast influences honeybees for Wisconsin honey producers. And stick around for later in the hour when we learn how the latest crop progress and condition report is influencing our grain markets. That'll be with market advisor John Heinberg. But first, a Wisconsin farmer is working with cattle you may not have heard about before. Stick around. Whether it's finally getting that blue ribbon or enjoying too many carnival rides, we all have memories of the fair. Here's your chance to share those stories in our Everybody Has a Fair Story contest. The Midwest Farm Report is teaming up with the Wisconsin Association of Fairs as they celebrate 100 years of fairs to share the fair story. Entries are being accepted all summer long, and there are cash prizes. To enter and see full contest details, visit MidwestFarmReport.com. Holsteins, Jerseys, Brown Swiss, these are pretty familiar dairy breeds. But one breed in Wisconsin that's not as well known is the Kerry breed. I'm Charity Seebecker from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. The Kerry are believed to be one of the oldest dairy breeds and originate from Ireland. One of only two rare dairy herds of Celtic Kerry cows call Grace Acres Farms home. J.T. Price, owner of Grace Acres, explains more about this unique breed. But first, he shares how he got into raising them. So I grew up on a farm in South Carolina, and I've always loved cattle, I've always loved animals. Ended up going to vet school in Mississippi. And during one of my last years at vet school, during clinicals, I was in Wisconsin. And to make a long story short, learned a lot about genetics and rare breeds. And again, very interested in cattle. I also have Irish roots myself. And so I'd heard about the carries, but I didn't know if there were any left. And unbeknownst to me, I was lucky enough to find one and then another and then slowly built a herd. Not many people have heard of the carry, and a lot of times when people see them, they're like, oh, they look kind of like an Angus. They are naturally a black-colored cow. They're a true dairy breed. They hail from Ireland. There are not many left there. Their genetics go back for thousands of years to the Roman Empire and even the ancient Auric, and there's been a lot of uh, study on the breed People don't really know about it just because, you know, back in the early 1900s and the 1920s, that was the dairy revolution. Milk is sold as a commodity. Being that it was sold as a commodity, it's volume-based, and so that's where the more popular breeds, such as the Holstein and Jersey, that produce more bulk volume, they were selected by a lot of dairymen back in those days. And so because of that, the carry was less common to see, and there's only been minimal imports of live animals and semen from Ireland since the 1800s, so that's why they're pretty rare. 
How do they compare then to some of the other breeds that we know more about? I'm a big fan of the Holsteins and Jerseys. That's what we milked growing up. The difference is really how we raise our food, especially in this country. Given that it's volume-based and a lot of people are more far removed from raising their own food, we have a lot of food that's for lack of a better word, I guess, mass produced. But if you just look at how cattle, dairy cattle specifically, are raised uh, for milk production, a lot of times they're under roof. Of course, they have cow comfort amenities, but they're not out on grass. They're fed silage. You know, we bring it to them and they do well. When it comes to what the carry's known for, they're known for making grass into protein, you know, milk. They also are known for lasting in the herd into their early 20s and having long lactations with minimal input. On the dairy farm, your biggest cost is feeding the cows. And so with the carries, given you don't have to feed them the amount of energy you have to put into a Holstein or a Jersey, it's far more efficient. Now, you know, they may produce 40 pounds a day versus 140 pounds a day. However, your input's really low, and they last in the herd much longer than a Holstein. So when it comes down to it, what makes their milk different? Actually, I'm working with the Center for Dairy Research. They've been analyzing our milk since last summer, and they've also been making some cheese for us. We're doing a really fun USDA grant project, making some specialty cheeses. And so um, most of the population of Cary, similar to Guernsey's, are A2. So what that means is if you have an inflammatory response to dairy, which a lot of people do, myself, that's why I'm doing this project, those breeds are predominantly A2. That's one of the reasons I also selected the carries. And furthermore, their milk is quite unique. The fat globules are much smaller in the carry milk than other milks. You know, from like the Jersey has a, a larger fat globule. It's a little bit more difficult to digest for people who have sensitivities digestion wise. And so they're notorious for having very small fat globules. It's almost as though it's a naturally homogenized milk. These are all things that, you know, make their milk more special, more unique versus milk from our more common dairy breeds. Since they are a little bit lesser known or there's only a few left even in Ireland, how does that play into genetics and breeding then? You know, you don't want crossbreds necessarily. You're trying to stick to that true carry route. So take me through how that has been for you. I work very closely with the American Carry Cattle Association. The secretary, Jody Jess, I call her Mama Carrie. She also has a dairy herd of carries in Massachusetts. And there is one small startup herd in Ohio. We have the only herd here in the Midwest. And those are the only known dairy herds of carries in the North American continent, in fact. So there are a handful of backyard cows also in Canada. And the reason I say all this is we keep as close a track as we can of every single carry. That way, we are very selective. We work a lot with CLRC out of Canada to make sure when we do inbreeding, we keep our inbreeding coefficients low and we work to preserve the breed through means of semen collection, which allows for us to then match different breedings, ship semen to satisfy those needs and to minimize inbreeding. We've also had some imports from Ireland. I'm working on right now a project where I'm going to be collecting some embryos because there's no embryos in inventory anywhere, even in Ireland. 
So yeah, we work together. The breeders, we talk a lot and we really try to minimize inbreeding. We use UC Davis for uh, genotyping, also for A2 testing. It's very important. And you mentioned the Center for Dairy Research. Can you give me a brief overview and the kind of timeline for what that means moving forward for you? We're working on a grant project making A2 grass-fed cheeses from our milk, which is predominantly carry. Um, We do have some crosses already in production, and we're hoping to have, you know, within three years, you know, right now there's 40 total animals that are pure carry at the farm, and we're hoping to have, you know, closer to 40 cows in production. So we're raising our, our heifers and excited for all that. Working with the CDR, they actually have been wonderful in giving us the recipes for our, our milk. Not only do they analyze the milk itself, but they also look at how best to fit, you know, what we're looking for for our cheeses. We like to have specialty cheeses. We also make our carry curds, which are our cheese curds. Being it's a grass-fed milk, the cheese tastes differently and it actually behaves differently. I'm learning a lot about cheese making. I'm not a cheese maker. I, I would love to become one eventually. So the CDR, they give us these recipes to where then we are currently looking for a cheese banker to where we can go ahead and kind of kick this grant off a little bit more in the local Madison atmosphere. So what efforts can others take right now to help kind of save this endangered species, make it help become more aware that it is out there and try that A2 protein milk? There are a couple of things. One of them would be we have actually a nonprofit sector of the farm where it helps support the educational and scientific backing as well as the care for this rare breed. If they'd like to donate a charitable contribution, that's one way that's very helpful in caring for the Midwest only herd of carries. Also, coming out to the farm and supporting the American Carry Cattle Association. And the farm is a beautiful remnant of the Arlington Prairie, which is a really fertile soil, glacial soil prairie. The barn itself was built in 1913. It's only changed hands, the farm, since 1848, three times. And it's kind of enchanting, um, especially now you have this like majestic Celtic animal that they are different. You know, I work with different livestock species. I'm a veterinarian and I enjoy the carry. They they behave, I would say, more like, you know, the mind of a mule or a horse, not as stubborn. They can be, but they really want to trust you. And, you know, to train them to the robot, and then once they get the hang of it, it's really neat to see them versus the Holsteins. We do have some A2 Holsteins, many of which are carrying either carry embryos or crossed with carries. They serve to help increase the carry numbers. And so I would say come out to the farm. You know, we do have tours and um, our website, it's graceacres.farm. And check us out. We love to show the carries off and you can see them get milked by the robot or just standing out in the field grazing. That was JT Price, owner of Grace Acres Farms. Look for the link to his website as well as photos of this rare breed in our article at MidwestFarmReport.com. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Charity Seebecker. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Is your biggest fear of having dermal filler in the face looking overdone? You are not alone. A Skincare Minute with Skincare Expert, Michelle Neeson. 
Dermal filler treatments at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie restore fullness and fill in wrinkles in areas of the face, such as the cheeks, under eyes, lips, and around the mouth. It's very difficult to look overdone with non-surgical dermal fillers due to the amount that's typically injected. Did you know that one syringe of filler equals one-fifth of a teaspoon? One fast food ketchup packet is equivalent to eight syringes. As long as your treatment is performed by a skilled medical professional, you should have the natural looking results you desire. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. You can't change the price of gas or groceries, but you can change the amount of your energy bill. Benjamin Plumbing is now a certified dealer of Renai tankless water heaters. The number one tankless water heater in North America. They're up to 40% more energy efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory-extended warranty. Save money with endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses, I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. If your conversations always start with the weather, welcome to the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome. And yeah, I imagine everyone's conversations this week are going to be about the weather. My forecast for you today is that it's going to be hot and it's only going to get hotter as the week continues. So let us know if your temperature gauge is breaking any records outside, especially tomorrow. Send us a text. That number is 877-301-FARM, 877-301-3276. And of course, along with the temperatures, we're also concerned about your safety. We know that you're concerned about your livestock, your crops, but don't forget about yourself. I just looked up the National Farm Medicine Center. They've got a list of recommendations to keep yourself safe in the sun and the heat, especially You know, it's as simple as wearing sunscreen. It sounds simple, right? But you actually got to do it. Put on that hat, wear your sunglasses, sit in the shade, and make sure you're cooling yourself down. Egg meteorologist Stu Muck is along with us this morning. And Stu, to underscore the heat situation we're about to face, why don't you tell us about this excessive heat advisory that we're in? Oh, we've got all kinds of things. I mean, Stephanie, I'm looking just at Madison. There's a heat advisory in effect for today. That heat advisory from 11 a.m. today until 9 p.m. tonight. That means we're going to be pushing up to around or in the low 90s, and you add the heat index, that humidity to it, and you're talking heat index up in the mid-90s. It will be warmer at La Crosse. I mean, even tomorrow, I expect a lot of us in the upper 90s. Lacrosse, I would lay money on it. It'll be 102 or 103 degrees. That's without adding in the heat index, pushing that heat index up into the mid or, you know, 105, 106, closer to 110. So the heat, very important. We have to pay a lot of attention to it. There's an excessive heat warning. What does that mean? 
That means excessive heat is going to be there, and we're going to need to deal with it. Stephanie said, take care of your livestock. That hound dog in the yard, make sure he's got a lot of water today, tomorrow, and Thursday, and yourself, number one. Wide hats. You know, a cowboy hat helps keep more sun off your ears than a baseball cap. And take a break. Drink a lot of water because it is very, very hot. We have that excessive heat warning. Uh, mostly from around 10 tomorrow till 9 p.m. Still an excessive heat watch after that from Wednesday night through the day Thursday. High pressure, very strong in the Midwest. That's the reason all the sunshine and hot air is around. And there's a warm front kind of meandering from South Dakota, southwest Minnesota, down into Iowa. That's going to ride north on into Wisconsin today. If you want to get away from it, head really far north, very scattered light rain in far, far northeast Wisconsin on the southern tip of Lake Superior and up in the UP this morning. That's not going to spread into our area. There may be a small chance of a little rain as we look toward early tomorrow or late tomorrow in far eastern and northeast Wisconsin. For most of us, really not much of a rain chance. The big feature will be the warm front building and bringing the heat today, and then a cool front that follows through after that, and that cool front drops through here late Wednesday through the day Thursday. Winds begin to turn back to the northwest. That starts to cool us off, and those temperatures fall somewhat for Friday and could actually be just a little cooler than normal as we start the weekend. I'll take a look at those forecast details and temperatures right after this. New location, new vision, same goal. The Farm and Industry Short Course is producing high-quality graduates ready for success in the dairy industry. The oldest agriculture training program in Wisconsin has stood the test of time. The 16-week program returns for fall 2023 at UW-River Falls. Learn from world-class faculty, live in the residence halls, earn college credits, and create lifelong friendships. Register today at uwrf.edu. Now, Stu, usually when we get heat like this coming through, there's some relief at some point, right? Like a severe storm maybe coming through with some rain, a cool front. But it doesn't look like we are going to see any showers after this heat is done. No, no, a really small possibility with that cool front later Thursday and then just cooling us off to wrap up the week. And I, I don't think anybody's going to complain about it cooling off. I know that. Today, of course, we'll be really careful. The heat advisory in many locations, sunny skies and a hot day. A lot of us in the very upper 80s, 88, 89. I'd say La Crosse and Boston will break 90 today or head into the low 90s. East and south winds about 5 to 10. We stay clear overnight. Really don't cool down a great deal. Maybe into the low 70s or upper 60s. No relief. South winds overnight stay at about 5 to 15, so that heat continues to hold on. I'd expect a sunny, hot day Wednesday. The excessive heat warning almost everywhere. Upper 90s and low 100s. The 100s over at La Crosse and Boston. Very upper 90s everywhere else. Southwest winds 5 to 15. Thursday, still a sunny and hot day. In the lower 90s, we stay a little cooler. The southwest winds begin to shift to the northwest with that cool front through the day at about 5 to 10. That brings around a bit of a break. A very slight rain chance Thursday evening, Thursday night, and then a little nicer in the 80s on Friday, maybe only upper 70s for Saturday, Stephanie. So the relief 
is right there. I mean, it's just down the road. We've got some really hot weather. Yeah, hot weather. And as you said, some areas of Wisconsin going to break 100 degrees maybe tomorrow. But again, it's that heat index that puts that temp even higher. Stu, is it the humidity that drives the heat index up? Right. It's the combination of the heat and humidity. Uh, I call it the inverse of wind chill. Ah, okay. Well, hey, we want to hear about it. Again, if your uh, temperature gauge is breaking any records outside, send us a text at 877-301-FARM. That's 877-301-3276. Stu, we'll catch you back here same time tomorrow. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Get ready for the event of the season, the Lamenna's Custom Farms Equipment Auction. It's time to mark your calendars because this online auction is happening from August 16th to August 23rd, and you won't want to miss it. The Lamenna's family is downsizing their custom harvest and application business, and they're offering a remarkable selection of single-owner, meticulously cared-for equipment. That's right, folks. These hard-to-find items are all field-ready and waiting for their next adventure. Head on over to stephasgroup.com, your one-stop destination for all things agriculture. That's S-T-E-F-F-E-S group.com. Have you ever had an MRI through the hospital where you're crunched inside a scary tube-like tunnel? MH Imaging in Middleton provides the spacious comfort of a completely open design MRI, the most updated concept in MRIs. It's an open MRI, open for everyone, regardless of insurance or doctor affiliation, for a fraction of the cost of a medical system. And the results are available the same day, providing you with answers you need to know now. Visit MHImaging.com. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Create the floors you love this season with DIY and budget-friendly flooring from Wiseway. With Wiseway Flooring's direction, you'll only need to be moderately handy to accomplish brand new floors. I'm Mike Yenser at Wiseway Flooring, inviting you to visit our showroom in Watertown, Lake Mills, and Economwalk. See how our do-it-yourself products might be the right thing for you. Commercial or residential, the Wise have it. Log on to INeedFlooringNow.com. Recently, the U.S. Navy delivered tons of food to hungry people halfway around the world. But you could help someone in your own community simply by donating a can of soup. Last week, a Navy doctor saved the life of a total stranger. Just like you could by giving a pint of blood. The men and women of America's Navy do some amazing things to make the world a better place. So can you. Whether it's by donating food or simply giving time right in your own backyard. Brought to you by America's Navy. Sweet Metal Roofing customers choose us because they don't want to worry about their roof anymore. There's no curling, it won't blow off, and you won't find granules in your gutters. It's one and done. It is the last roof you'll ever need. I'm Mike. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweet Metal Roof. S-W-I-T-A MetalRoofing.com Sweet Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. 
You know who tells a great story? Our Tom's Auto Center customers, like Blake, who recently gave us a five-star review. It reads, I appreciated the emailed estimate and text message communication about the repairs. Thanks, Blake. Schedule your appointment, tomsautocenter.com. We'll make sure you get five-star service. Tom's Auto Center. We're the getter, fix, getter, done to get you going, guys. Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. This looks like a car. Has tires. Headlights, a hood. Windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors. Open like them, too. There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% of the time, this would be a car. But it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. You're worth so much more. Have you ever had the choice to accumulate wealth or go into debt? Let's play Would You Rather. Would you rather have $190,000 in total compensation or be $29,000 in debt? That's the choice between paying for a bachelor's degree that might not even land you a job or an apprenticeship with Liuna that will lead to job security, a pension, stability, and a lifetime of great wages. You're worth so much more. Go to liunawisconsin.org join to learn how to accumulate wealth instead of debt. Remember the last couple of years, or man, I think we could even go back more than the last couple of years. You look at some of the wide receivers and you're like, outside of Devante, they really don't have much at the wide receiver position. Yes. I think if you look at this year so far through the two preseason games, now granted, we're not at all the practices. We have to rely on the, the Mike Clemens and Rob Reichels of the world and from their reports. But overall, you see some of these young receivers. Like, obviously, you know Christian Watson because he popped a little bit last year. Romeo Dobbs looking nice. Romeo Dobbs popped at the beginning of last year. Like, those are two guys. Samari Toure kind of had some moments at the end of last season. But you're looking at some of the young guys because they drafted a ton of wide receivers this year, just not, you know, top 100 picks. Yeah. But Jaden Reed had some nice plays. The nice touchdown. Grant DeBose had some DeBose nice catches. catches him. That Malik Heath is looking pretty nice. Heath has flashed at camp. And I know that they said that uh, Wicks, the wide receiver out of Virginia, yeah. has flashed at camp. He made a couple of grabs the last couple games. Now you start counting some of these wide receivers. You're like, okay, well, Christian Watson's safe. Um, Romeo Dobbs is Romeo safe. Romeo Dobbs is safe. Samari Toure is safe. And then you look at some of the the young guys that they they drafted. Jaden Reed is safe. Well, there's your top four. Yeah. Well, how many well, wide how receivers are you going to keep? Six, seven? seven. Well, if you keep six, well, you have Debose. Did they ever have... even keep seven with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, they did. Like when? Uh, they they kept like seven in the middle of before. I don't remember the exact year. I know, but I know that they that started. They've... I know they started being around six near the end of his career. Um, but yeah, you have. Are they going to keep Debose Wicks? Bo Melton's a guy with actual NFL experience. Uh, Heath, like that's seven right there. Mm -hmm. And you still have some other guys that have, you know, made plays or had some catches. Like, um, I think there was a wide receiver. Was it out of two? Was it out of Tulane? Watts? 
if I remember correctly. He even had a catch where like Yeah, Deuce Watts. Yeah, he even he's even looked pretty decent in practice, but you know, yeah, what know are you going to keep? Six, seven, eight wide receivers? Like, he can't. He no, can't it's keep not, them all. It's not happening. And now you're having these young guys where, and the, the craziest thing about this is maybe you have to give Gutekunst a little bit of love because we talk about how they haven't spent any high uh, draft capital on any wide receivers. Well, they're still looking like they're finding some of these gems that are second, third, yeah. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Well, just young, un- undrafted. You know? But yeah, all of a sudden, it's like, man, there's actually some promising talent here in the wide receiver room. Don't know if it'll come f- to fruition well, in the, the regular season, but it's looking like So that's like the thing flashes. about you know, the preseason. I mean, these guys can flash and be so good, and like, man, this guy, could, he's going to be the truth come regular season. And then you hear from the guy again. That's reg- you know, that's preseason to regular season. I'd much rather, though, have these guys flashing early and being like, oh, this yeah, guy's totally. got potential yeah. than being like, oh my God. Yeah, this guy stinks when he's on the active roster. Outside of Watson and Dobbs, these wide receivers stink. Yeah. Now that um, uh, Duvall's, like you said, was looking good. That Jaden Reed, I mean, he had, the, he had one catch, but it was that touchdown grab that Jordan Love just zipped right in there, which is a really nice throw. But you're, you're going to have a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and a lot of in between this season. I because they're like, so young. I do like the difference in size in a lot of the wide receivers. Like Jaden Reed is a smaller, more slot specific guy. Same with Samari Toure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Christian Watson is a larger athletic. You have Romeo Dobbs, who's kind of that in-between uh, route runner. He's not going to be necessarily a stretch the field, just run deep like Christian Watson. But then Grant DeBose is is a bigger guy. Wicks is a little bit smaller, but he's quick. They're all kind of different, yeah. which I think is it's it, good. it helps those specific guys when it comes to do we keep six, do they keep seven type of things, because if they all can do something a little bit different, it probably helps their own case. Yeah, definitely. And it it actually probably makes the receiving core a bit better because if everyone can do a little bit of something different, you have a guy for that. Yeah. All right. So coming up, uh, there's the final preseason game on Saturday at Lambeau. This is going to be the Seahawks coming to the town. Matt LaFleur was asked, will Jordan Love be playing against the Seahawks in the final preseason game? He's going to play. What's the, what's the value in that for you? Just, I'm, I'm going to pause it right there. The reporter asked, what's the value in that for you? Is Jordan Love getting snaps? You, the more snaps, the better for this guy. Just, I, I don't think you can give these guys enough young young players, in particular that position, enough reps. I really don't. So I think there's something to, like, like we mentioned, and we strategically did this, so we had a night game. You know, just the approach and how you prepare for a night game. Here's a crew perfectly comfortable using Baylor twine as a belt. This is the Midwest Farm Report. I'm Stephanie Hoff, back along with you on a Tuesday morning. It is the 22nd day of August, and for the month of August, the old farmer's almanac reads, Better mow the lawn at dawn, storms and showers coming on. Well, as we heard from Stu Muck, small chances of showers but you'll still want to get your work done in the morning before the heat turns up. We are in a heat advisory until later this week. When it gets this hot, I always look at my landscaping plants and the critters outside, and I wonder how they handle the heat. I'm fortunate to have run into a former Wisconsin honey queen and American honey queen, Hannah Schustrom, to answer some questions about how our honey-producing pollinators handle the forecast. 
Hannah Schustrom is also working on an expansion plan for her family's third-generation apiary in Maiden Rock, Wisconsin. She raises about 300 hives during the summer and then sends them across the country for the winter. When they come back to Wisconsin, that's when the expansion process starts. She walks me through the cyclical nature of beekeeping, and she says the dry summer has made it tricky for bees to forage. Most people don't realize that not having enough rain means that our bees can, they can actually starve this time of the year when there is nothing for them to eat on. So it's kind of that hard balancing game of making sure that our bees are healthy enough so that way when it finally does rain, we can be able to get the honey that they would like to make and they need for themselves as well. How do you uh, supplement their diet? We like kind of we routinely check on our bees and if they look like they don't have enough food in there, we'll feed them sugar water or kind of a mixture of like corn syrup. And it's, the bees obviously don't love it nearly as much as honey, but when they're hungry, they will eat it, and we love to be able to make sure they're healthy as they can be. Does not having food, though, limit, like, the honey they can make? Yeah, so, like, when we go to take honey off of them from the fall, like, to sell for others, we only will take excess honey that they make. And so a time of the year when they are not making any honey for themselves, well, like, we can see in the hive that there's not going to be any honey for us to take. We just want to make sure that any honey they are making, they're going to have more than enough that they need to survive So if they don't have enough for them to survive, then yeah, we don't take any extra from them for ourselves. So are we going to see like a honey shortage? I mean, I think it's like farming every year is a gamble for it. I think it's honestly that it doesn't take much rain for them to start going. I know where we are, there was even rain last week and the last couple weeks we've seen an increase in honey. It's every summer is a gamble, like all, all farming practices. So by the end of the year, I might be able to tell you about our answer and what we can see and expect for the year. This was also interesting to me, too. What a bee forages on actually changes the flavor of the honey. What flavors of honey are we going to be seeing based on what the bees can forage on? Yeah, it really, every area in Wisconsin has something different that they could, bees can go to. So two flavors that my family sells, we sell, like, the normal honey you think of. It's going to be, like, clover, wildflower, pretty much the flowers the bee goes to in a year. Then we also have a honey that's almost black like coffee color, and it tastes like a robust-flavored molasses. And that's going to be called buckwheat flower. So it depends, like the last couple weeks in Wisconsin, you saw the basswood trees blooming. If you get just pure basswood honey, that tastes a minty flavor. And so it's some of our hives we went into and we just kind of sampled the burr comb or like the extra comb that was in there. It's not enough for us to take to like sell, but it was a basswood honey and we could taste it immediately from the mint flavor. How do you make sure your bees are foraging on what you want them to for your honey flavor? It can depend on the time of the year that the flowers going to be out there blooming for the bees so if we have a specific type of honey we're trying to get like the buckwheat for example when we try to get that we will make sure that the boxes that we take for the honey called honey supers that only honey supers on there are all empty when the buckwheat hits so that way when they get the buckwheat it will all go into those honey supers and then when the buckwheat flower closes we'll try and get all those supers off then so it's not like tainted by anything else that's there and a lot of it you can see by looking at it and the flavor as well to see how pure how like authentic that is going to be then with a wisconsin summer we also see heat mm-hmm. are the bees okay in the heat of the summer what temperature do they like it at the most ideal temperature for the bees is if it's going to be a warmer day where they can be out flying so they don't love when it gets super hot or super cold as long as really the temperament of them is going to be so happy when they can be out flying when it gets hotter the bees can create their own air conditioning in a hive and it can cool them down but they don't love to do that as well because that takes more energy and more work so honestly, if we could get like a nice 80 degree day with the rain the day before, they'd be loving the flowers out there that they can get to. We will end our honey collection in the middle of August. So that means all those extra boxes we've added to a hive, we take those extra boxes off. 
and that is our honey for the year. Middle of August through probably middle to end of October, we focus on our hives becoming as strong as we can. So whether that means we need to supplement the weaker hives with food, whether it's just kind of moving all of our bees home, we will then go through all the hives and see who is strong. We will send our strongest hives to California for the almond pollination. So the goal is we send um, almost all of our hives to California in the winter. They will get go through the almond pollination. They come back a lot healthier than they would if they wintered over here in Wisconsin. And then it also helps provide us with a pollination fund. So that way it's extra money so we can use it for the expansion process that my dad and I are working on. Has California's need for bees stayed strong? Because they're also dealing with their own weather implications. Every year is a new adventure for California, I think you hear. Like last year they was the first year they got like poured on when our bees were out there. And it really depends. It, I'd say it takes a lot of the bees in America have to get shipped out there because their almonds, that's their prime, like that's their big money maker out there. And those almonds need honeybees to pollinate them. Without the honeybees going to there from across the United States, there wouldn't be almonds that the way there is today. And so without, I think without that industry, the pollination industry that is there and the almonds can really go hand in hand to help the beekeepers and also help the almond producers that are out there. Hannah, are you beekeeping full time? I am currently a critical care nurse in Eau Claire and my beekeeping is I basically work two full jobs in the summer. My desire and my dream for my life is hopefully one day I will expand my family business enough so that way I can be keep full time and then my nursing would be on the side. So tell me about your family's expansion plan. I guess what's the next phase in growing the family apiary? So the last couple years has really been spent on like making sure we have quality bees. So when we're sending them out to California, when they come back, the goal is that they're going to be so big we can split them in half. Our goal for the next couple years is we've kind of gotten to that good like momentum going where we have really strong bees we're sending them our goal for this next year is we're going to send them again depending on how many come back our goal is to send to take as many hives as we can and split it into two to three more hives so that way we send one hive out we get one hive home but then they'll be so strong and healthy we can get two to three more hives off of that so my goal is maybe 500 to 1,000 hives someday well I was just talking to my dad before you came around and I said where would be like the max number you would like and he goes, I don't know, when we get there, we'll get there. So it's, I think we're just having so much fun seeing the potential our business has and where we're doing it together. Hannah Schustrom has served as a honey queen at both the state and national level. And today she's working to expand her family's third generation apiary in Maiden Rock, Wisconsin. She also gives us the insight on how honeybees make it through dry and hot conditions, something we'll be dealing with this week. Stick around for your market update coming up next. If we take a look at apples across Wisconsin, 57 of the state's 72 counties are home to commercial apple orchards. But not all of these orchards are growing the table apples you can just bite into. Some orchards are growing apples for a different treat, one that's for adults only, hard cider. Deirdre Birmingham owns the cider farm in Mineral Point. She previews the cider apple harvest after a dry growing season. Last year was a big year for all orchards in in Wisconsin. Um, We were up two and a half times from uh, uh, 2021. And that was because in 2021 we had three freezes, so everybody's everybody's crop was knocked back. And then the trees rebound because since they weren't making a lot of apples, they were making a lot of fruit buds for the following year. So we, we had our biggest crop ever, which was great. And for the first time, I was able to actually sell some apples to other cider makers. And then this year, you know, then your, your next year usually goes down. But we have some of our, our young trees are now coming online. So some of them have quite a few apples 
on them. So that should, uh, I don't think we'll have quite the level we did last year, but we'll be, we'll be kind of close to it if, if all goes well. Like I said, I don't count my apples till they're in the press. <laughs> Deirdre Birmingham owns the Cider Farm in Mineral Point, where they grow 16,000 cider apple trees. Taking a look at field crops in Wisconsin, over the past week, rain across most of the state did improve crop and pasture conditions. Pasture condition went up 6% from last week to 37%, good to excellent across the state. In between rain events, farmers were able to cut hay and harvest oats and wheat. 95% of the winter wheat crop is harvested across the state. Meanwhile, corn condition rates 55% good to excellent. Soybean condition 56% good to excellent. That went up 4% from last week. Market advisor John Heinberg joins us later in the hour to talk more about what's happening in the field here locally and also across the upper Midwest during the Pro Farmer Tour. From Chicago, cash corn is down a penny. December new crop corn down a penny and a quarter at 481 and a quarter. Cash beans are down six and a quarter cents. November new crop soybeans down seven cents at 1354 and three quarters. And September wheat is trading up four and a half cents at 603 and three quarters. The September Class 3 milk contract is up a nickel at 1893, a hundredweight. October milk is up 15 cents at 1836. Stick around for Market Advisor John Heinberg coming up next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. What BioVet does and where the livestock producer gets their benefit is our technology helps them with the things that they sometimes don't even know they're missing out on. Not just worrying about animals when they're sick, but trying to keep them as healthy and happy as possible as well. I'm Dr. Bill Zimmer, founder of BioVet. Microbials and nutritional support, that's BioVet. Learn more at bio-vet.com. We get it. You need the most durable truck and a return on it, too. That's why Ewald Chevrolet Buick is your certified agriculture dealer. With your purchase, receive AgPack at no additional cost to you. A package of farm and ranch discounts with savings up to $30,000. Right now, finance a new 2023 Silverado Turbo Max or select heavy-duty models for just 1.9%. Find new roads at EwaldChevroletBuick.com. On select models with approved credit. See dealer for details. Legacy-exteriors.com Legacy Exteriors Just pick up the phone and let us leave a legacy on your home. Hi, it's Preston from Window World. And although I'd love to talk your ear off about windows, today's all about doors. Your front door can say a lot about you. Window World specializes in turning a bland entrance into a grand entrance. We have top quality products, a variety of paint and stain options, and certified factory trained installers. It's a no-brainer. Visit us at windowworldmadison.com. Bringing home the bacon, literally. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back as we round out a Tuesday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff along with you today. 
John Heinberg is with us too this morning. John is a market advisor with Total Farm Marketing out of West Bend. You can find them online at totalfarmmarketing.com. And John, the weather is certainly a theme this morning. A lot of what we're seeing in the news about the tropical storm in California and also the heat wave we're experiencing locally has potential to influence the commodity supply chain if it hasn't already. And my first question for you, John, is if you've seen ripples from these weather events already. Well, let's start with that, the California storm situation and then the heavy rain that came through. And I hate to say it, and I, you know, I think that was some of the reason we saw the milk market pop here the last couple of days, just anticipation of possibly some production issues in that area. So we've seen milk prices kind of run up on that. Uh, I think those turn into opportunities for producers to uh, take advantage of a little jump in milk prices as we're poking through the, trying to get to the $19 handle here in some of the front month milk yesterday. You know, we'll see how that trend kind of continues now that the storms are kind of passed and we're in cleanup mode uh, for most of that region. Obviously, the heat is going to be a major factor across the entire core of the, in the United States here. In terms of the grain markets, you know, the soybean markets has seen some buying strength going with that forecast. And we're still in that window where soybeans need to fill out those pods and that excessive heat will shut those plants down, could cause some issues there. At least that's what the market is thinking. At least that was yesterday's trade for soybeans and then going into the end of the week corn though at this time frame the markets kind of move past the, the weather here we're at the stage where the crop is probably made for the most part maybe we lose a little bit more on the top end with that type of weather but the you know that we're at the stage now the year is kind of filled and we're seeing that you know as the crop tour is out there they're finding some pretty good potential and that was one of the biggest reasons why the corn market kind of turned over yesterday as the market was looking for some numbers maybe to find it some support wasn't seeing those we still got demand issues which is the number one online theme in the grain markets for us right now. And that's why we saw prices fall off those highs from Sunday night. You know, speaking of this heat, it's got me wondering about how crop condition is looking across the United States. Uh, we, we got our report for Wisconsin. But, John, this pro-farmer crop tour, they're looking at potential for corn and soybean production and more than about 2,000 fields across the Midwest. What are some of those early indicators that you picked up? Well, you know, and again, like I said, I think the market was really kind of waiting to see some numbers that were going to be supportive of price yesterday. And I think that's some of the reason with the heat. We rallied at the end of the week last week and had a strong overnight session on Sunday night and the Monday. But then all of a sudden, those numbers just weren't there. You know, they were in South Dakota and Ohio for their main numbers yesterday. They did do a little bit of work in Nebraska. Uh, we'll get the Nebraska uh, numbers uh, today as well as Indiana numbers at the end of the day today. But right now, uh, South Dakota looks strong. Uh, that was something I've been hearing. You go look at some of the, you know, vegetative indexes in South Dakota, North Dakota is in good shape, at least in terms of how things look on the on the plant side. And you know, then Ohio came in a little bit above expectations, above last year as well. So we're seeing some good potential out there for both corn and soybeans. And I think that was some of the reason the market kind of rolled over. We got these computer traders now; they're looking for information that comes through social media. And when numbers started coming in a little bit friendly, the realization that maybe this crop is still out there started to hit the marketplace is wisconsin on their list 
Wisconsin is not on their list. You know, we're not one of the considered the one of the main corn producing states, even though we do have our share here. You know, they stay in the and basically the core to like today is in the Indiana into Illinois. Uh, on the eastern side, on the western side, they'll go to Nebraska into Iowa and southern Minnesota, and then finish up wrapping up Illinois and Iowa here uh, towards the end of the week, and then get their final numbers out. You know, last year the market kind of rallied off the pro farmer tour. This year we're not seeing the numbers that we needed to maybe get the market to rally at least after one day we'll probably see a little bit tougher numbers maybe as we get into some of the tougher areas southern minnesota central iowa might be a little bit disappointing considering uh, some of the factor that they've missed out on some of these rains and this heat could do a little bit of damage hey what is this farmer crop tour uh how does what does it bring to the table that usda reports don't well, first off, it's our first real look at boots on the ground, as we like to say. In other words, somebody getting in the field and doing physical measurements, you know, seeing what's actually out there besides, uh, you know, the crop ratings. Crop ratings are subjective. They're done from the roadside. You know, obviously things look good as you drive by, but what's in the field is still the key. You know, the USDA up to this point has been using farmer surveys as well as satellite imagery as well as formulas based off of weather to get to the yield numbers that they've been forecasting. You know, now when we get the September report, which comes out here in you know, about the 11th of September, we'll see the, the first USDA measurements as they'll go through and do their forms of test plots and, and yield trials and fields. And that's going to be probably the more accurate number, at least in terms of where they think this yield is nationally. But Pro Farmer and some of these other tours that are out there kind of give us that first look of those numbers. Yeah. And back to the weather, John, you know, things are starting to get cleaned up in, in California, but Eyes are on other tropical storms making their way to southern Texas, for example. You're, again, analyzing the heat. Um, Give us a feel for what implications you think may be coming down the road this week when we take a look at the marketplace. Now we got to first off see after the heat event passes, what's the weather return to? Do we stay on the drier side to finish this crop out? Uh, do we or we do we pick up moisture that can add some more pounds to it? You know, right now models are still looking a little bit on the drier side, cooler but drier. You know, thank gosh. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to watch these tropical storms. Harold's coming into Texas. Where does that moisture flow? To sometimes we get those storms and they hook that moisture right up through the corn belt and can get things on the wetter side there. You know, right now we're kind past the stage we know where the crop is crop ratings don't mean that much anymore things are supposed to deteriorate this time of the year it's going to still be about the demand and we need to see export sales that's truly going to be the driver of price here is our ability to sell this product overseas are you seeing action happening at the national level to open up more export opportunities well, right now we're just struggling in price versus the South American crops, the Brazilian corn crop and bean crop that's there. That's still going to be continue to be the battle. You know, when we, when we rally in price, all of a sudden we get expensive on the global scale. We're waiting to see the export numbers step in right now for corn. If it wasn't for Mexico, we'd really be struggling. Mexico is an anticipated buyer, but they just don't move the market. Obviously, China is a big bear, a big elephant in the room when it comes to buying U.S. corn, where they've been so far very absent this year because that South American corn is still just cheaper and easier to get to. John, always a wealth of information when we have you on. Again, John Heinberg, Market Advisor with Total Farm Marketing out of West Bend. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Thanks for tagging along with me on a Tuesday. We're getting put out to pasture for today. Back tomorrow morning. This is the Midwest Farm Report.